Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve Podcast, where the sexaholic or sex addict can find experience, strength, and hope from those that have traveled this road ahead of us. This episode is produced in the spirit of the 12th step to carry the message to other sexaholics. Every effort has been made to remove full names of the speakers in these recordings. This is done in order to follow the 11th tradition regarding anonymity at the level of press, radio, television, and film. This podcast is self-supporting through contributions. If you enjoy listening to this podcast and would like to support The Daily Reprieve, please do so by going to GoFundMe.com, search for The Daily Reprieve, and click on Donate Now. Without further ado, please enjoy today's Daily Reprieve. Welcome to this session Sexaholics in Prison, How You Can Help. My name is Davis. I'm a grateful member of Sexaholics Anonymous. I'll be your leader for this session. In the spirit of the fifth tradition to carry the message, this session will be recorded. The recorder will will not be turned off during this session. If you do not wish to be recorded, you may participate by listening or attending another session. We ask that those who choose to share step up to the microphone so that those who listen to the recording can follow the discussion. Please do not tamper with the recording equipment. Will you please join me in opening the session with the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Not mine be done. Amen. Sexaholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other. They may solve their common problem and help others to recover. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop lusting and become sexually sober. There are no dues or fees for membership of, for SA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. SA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. Does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sexually sober and help others to achieve sexual sobriety. Guidelines for sharing. Because our common welfare comes first, here are the guidelines for sharing during this meeting. We do not crosstalk. That is, we share with the group as a whole rather than addressing any individual member. We speak in the I, not the we, or the you. We leave our other identities at the door, including politics, religion, therapies, treatment centers, occupation, and other 12-step issues. Um, We speak about and from the essay point of view, Our meetings focus on the essay approach to recovery, so whenever possible, we avoid the mention of titles, authors, who are not essay-approved literature. We avoid profanity, sexual descriptions, and sexually abusive language. When sharing strays, we can remind each other of our commitment to these guidelines by quietly raising our hands. Okay, we'll take this till we finish. Um, This meeting is... Mostly about what uh, your sexual, uh, your sex, uh, sexual anonymous correctional facility committee does, uh, in the hope of one, recruiting new members, and two, uh, getting some new ideas. We get so many good ideas out of these meetings, and it, uh, I don't know why we've never recorded them in the past because this is a great way to get these ideas out there to other people who are going to buy these CDs. 
just to give you a little bit of my background, uh, I was a uh, school teacher that uh, abused his students. Um, I had been doing it for years and was finally confronted and uh, admitted um, because at that point, and I think all of you know this, how, how exhausting it is leading a double life. Uh, it's hard enough leading one, but leading two at the same time was just over the top. And it was uh, almost, uh, it was, as many people have said, it's a relief, a relief often to get caught. Um, I spent uh, 20 months in jail in, uh, in prisons, various prisons throughout Virginia. Uh, I had lost a marriage. I had lost a career, uh, 20 months of my life. But I did gain myself back. Uh, in the time between when I was confronted to when I actually went into prison, I had about three or four months to try to figure out what the heck was wrong with me. Uh, being an academic, I started reading books after books after books. I went to, uh, I wondered what my friend at the bookstore thought about all the rather odd titles I was ordering because they were all about sexual addiction. Uh, I remember the first time I ever heard about sexual addiction. I was watching a TV show and there was a Major League Baseball player standing up talking about, you know, with his beautiful wife and talking about how he had stepped out of his marriage because he was addicted to sex. And I remember my response to that was to laugh. I thought that was nuts. How could you be addicted to that? And then here I was. I was one. Um, in all the reading I did, self-knowledge doesn't do us any good. You know, I found out reasons why this could have happened and, and, and the like. But the thing that did the most good was that in the back of one of the books, I found the address to S.A. Of course, at that time, they were still in California, and I tried calling the number, and they had moved. But eventually, I got there. Finally got in touch with them here in Tennessee. Um, called, left them my number, and somebody from our... Uh, the area where I live in the uh, Northern Virginia, D.C. metro area, uh, a member called me. In fact, I still know him. I just saw him down the hall. Matter of fact, he's here at the convention. And he called and uh, told me his story. And when he told me his story, I, all I thought in my head was, boy, this guy is sick. He has got all kinds of problems, you know, ignoring my huge amount of problems. You know, I was going to prison. Um, went to my first meeting the next night. First thing somebody said to me there was, welcome home. And boy, that was the truest thing, because here were people that really understood. They could say, yeah, I've been there. I've done that. Um, I started to look for that, uh, that sense of uh, terminal uniqueness. Everybody else was talking about affairs and masturbations and prostitutes. Nobody was talking about abusing kids. So I felt you know, I was all alone all over again. But it became pretty clear pretty quickly that it didn't matter what form my acting out took. You know, We were all... We all just chose a slightly different drug. Um, mine just happened to be something that society heavily frowns upon. Um, since being released in uh, March, uh, January of '97, um, I've, you know, went back to the program. Uh, eventually, got a sponsor. Please don't wait as long as I did. Uh, work the steps, and life just keeps getting better. Um, I have uh, been employed at a much higher salary than I ever would have been as a teacher, even though I'm currently unemployed, but you know my earning potential is much higher than it ever was. Uh, I just celebrated my seventh wedding anniversary with my wife, who is also here as an Essanon, and, and so much healing has taken place all around my life. Um, and that's one of the things that brings me to work with this committee, because uh, I know what this program can do for people who desperately need it, and people in prison qualify on that account. Um, the things that the uh, Correctional Facility Committee 
uh, offers. Uh, we have uh, we send literature in for free to people that request it. We have order forms that we can send in to people so that they can uh, order white books, uh, year subscriptions to the essay, uh, and a couple different pamphlets that we have for free. Um, we also send these into prison counseling staffs, uh, therapists, um, chaplains, and the like, people that work uh, with the prisoners. We offer a sponsor-by-mail program. A uh, wonderful packet that was developed by one of our guys um, allows people to safely work through their steps totally by the mail. We, some of these people well, they might not ever see each other, uh, but they can work through their steps, and we all know the value of the steps. Uh, without them, we really can't get that far. It allows people to do it safely and at a distance. We also uh, provide contact service so that when people are getting ready to leave prison and go back to the uh, the outside world, um, they have a place where they can they can find the closest meetings to their release point so that they can get to them. Because I got to tell you, for anybody that's ever been there, when you get back out of prison, it's you know when you're inside. My biggest choice in the day was, am I going to have the meat or the vegetarian? food. You know, that was it. Clothes were always the same. People were always the same. It was just, it was a lot of boredom. Very few choices. And when I got out, my parents picked me up at the prison and they needed to pick something up at a Walmart, which is the definition of choices. And I walked in there and my head is just literally from thing to thing to thing because I, you know, different colors. I think it wasn't just blue and gray. It was, uh, it was, uh, and so that's a very tenuous time getting out, which is why we offer that service so that people can get right back in and start going to meetings again. Um, we also help uh, with prisons that request our help in setting up meetings. Um, more and more prisons are saying, <laughs> mostly because they're getting more and more sex offenders for longer and longer periods, that they need to do something with these guys because you know, they're, there's a reason they're called correctional facilities. They're supposed to at least to attempt to correct things. Um, prisons tend to go through cycles of punishment and rehabilitation, and we're hopefully coming kind of out of a punishment cycle because it's been pretty pretty deep for the past few years. Uh, unfortunately, uh, uh, it's very uh, hip for politicians to be as tough as they can on sex offenders, and so we get longer and longer sentences. But that's beyond our scope. Our scope is to help people that uh, ask for the help um, and to uh, do everything we can for them. Um, some of the problems that we run into as a committee is that we really we have a hard time letting go we want to be able to bring meetings everywhere that we see needs it, and that's pretty much every prison needs it. Um, and we had, uh, actually I forgot to bring it down with me. I've got a, a packet that we got from um, AA. We had a, uh, our committee had a phone meeting with AA's corrections committee. Um, and of course they've been doing this for a lot longer. Um, this pack, it's this, this binder that's just full of stuff in multiple languages. Uh, has a DVD, you know, about what they can do, all professionally done. Uh, they have well over 2,000 meetings that take place in prisons. Um, our last count is somewhere, I don't know, 30, 35, I think, that we have actually taken, that we know of uh, in prisons. Uh, one of the differences between our meetings and their meetings is that most of the AA meetings were started by people on the outside bringing a meeting into the prison, whereas the majority of ours seem to be people who are essays who end up in prison themselves, and they seeing that they need a meeting, they start one. And uh, they work with their prison staffs to uh, get a meeting started. This one I love to talk about. It's a guy I helped work through his steps, and he's in a prison in Pennsylvania. 
um, I don't know, 10 or 11 more years he has on his sentence. And he, uh, since he finished his steps before he went in, the logical thing was to start a meeting when he got inside. They have two meetings, sometimes three meetings a week in his prison. They have even joined their local intergroup. Uh, they send money out to the Lehigh Valley Intergroup uh, in Pennsylvania. So they, you know, they're, they're kind of like the rest of us now. Just they have limited mobility. Um, but uh, they are, um, you know, they're, they're working their steps and they're helping each other. So we want to be able to extend our hand to help them. Um, so the frustration comes in when we try to start meetings and they, they don't work. Because uh, it's, it's the, there's nobody there that wants to keep the meeting going. Or we have difficulty because the, some officials don't want us in. Uh, in the D.C. area, we have uh, the four major counties that circle uh, the district. We've uh, gone to each one of them uh, and to their rather large jails, gone through the process of trying and submitted proposals, trying to get uh, essay meetings put in. And we keep getting really close. And then they just say, no, we can't quite figure out how we're going to justify bringing in a group with your name or... Uh, you know, there's some reason where they don't want us in. And that's where we have to learn that, uh, you learn about letting go because we do the best we can. And if it doesn't work there, we look at someplace else where it may work. Um, so that's, um, that's in a nutshell what we do. Uh, those that uh, are on the committee, we have two phone meetings a year. Um, they're generally in May and October. Uh, we, um, they're about an hour, sometimes hour and a half if we have a lot to talk about. Um, they, um, we, t we discuss uh, ideas that people bring to the meeting or that uh, things that we glean from people such as you who come to the sessions here at the conventions and give us good ideas and we talk about them uh, and try to get them going. A couple of the things that came from the last um, convention, we, uh, it was kind of odd because somebody at the meeting brought up the idea at the same time we had a guy in prison write us the idea, the same idea of creating a prison newsletter that would be written by the prisoners. The concept, and it's still pretty murky right now, we're still, it's in the planning stages, is to have, uh, uh, to have a central, some person that would collect things from various prisoners. They would all be sent to one person, writings of either what's happening in their prison, how are their meetings going at their prison, uh, things that work and don't work at their prisons, bringing that to a central location, having it edited to maybe a one or two page newsletter and then sending it back out to those people. Uh, prisons do frown heavily upon direct contact between prisoners at different institutions. So uh, that's why we have to go through like a, an intermediary uh, to get this out. But as I said, that's in the planning stage and uh, something that we're going to be talking about. Uh, for the, uh, another thing that many people participate in is the writing to prisoners and being sponsors by mail. Uh, Bob H., who also lives in Northern Virginia, about 20 miles from me, he... Um, uh, has taken over this position, uh, and if you so, if you are interested in just writing to people, and that's a good way to start this off, is but you know ag agreeing to write to somebody. Um, we have we tell you you know good ways, safe ways to go about it, and um, things to write, things not to write about, uh, and also people that want to sponsor uh, prisoners. And when we receive requests, uh, they go straight to Bob, and he finds somebody who's uh, willing to take it, and uh, they start either writing or sponsoring that person. Uh, and this all falls under the heading of service. So if you're ever thinking about, should I do this, uh, go ask your sponsor and he'll tell you yes and <laughs> you can start working with us. Um, that being said, I'm going to open this up for people that either have questions 
or have uh, uh, ideas um, that I can scribble down. And um, if you have questions, um, either I or maybe other people could uh, might be able to answer them. We have some other people that have quite a bit of experience trying to help with either uh, being in prison or working with people who are in prison. Um, and so I'm going to have the microphone here next to me. So if you want to come up, uh, come sit here and uh, speak clearly. I'm Dimitri. I'm a sexaholic. I'd be really brief. I have a couple of comments and a question. Uh, I uh, participated in the sponsor by mail program, and um, um, I've got a, a couple names uh, of prisoners, uh, and I wrote to them, and and then uh, I never never got any more communication from whoever was running, uh, I guess, running the central spreadsheet where all the contacts are. And so I guess my question is. Uh, you know, how do I uh, do? I have to keep calling that person to ask for more contacts, or or not? And also, um, I did not get any instruction. Well, very limited instructions of what you just mentioned and what what I can share, what is safe to share. Because I've written some letters, and then later on, I would just be like, "Holy crap!" You know, I should not have written that to a prisoner because those guys, they you know, they have all the time in the world to sit there and figure out how to um, how to screw you. You know, I mean, that's just the reality. And uh, and uh, so I, I, I'd like to have, and I feel another thing. Well, I guess my comment would be to have clear instructions: what is safe to share, what is not. And also, I feel like there's uh, there's just not a, a lot of communication between, um, well, within the committee. I mean, we have a couple meetings a year, and I wasn't one of the phone meetings. Um, but other than that, uh, there's no listserv. There's uh, I, maybe there's some some means of uh, kind of getting people more involved in it. Um, and I guess my final question is, and I've been to maybe three of these meetings and I've been on a phone meeting, uh, I mean, they've got, there, have, there have to be some women out there who are uh, with similar problems. I don't, I don't think there's any, I don't know if, uh, if, you're, if, if there are any women involved in this type of service, so that I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you. Um, good point about the amount of communications because we haven't we have gone through a transition phase between uh, uh, Keith who used to run it and Bob who currently runs it and so there has been I'm sure that more than a few people have you know things have been dropped along the way uh, so to answer that first one yeah uh, keep getting in touch either through central office because they get directly in contact with uh, Bob who does not use email so we can't get, we have to but we get to him um, and that idea of setting up uh, like a listserv, that would be, that's actually a very good idea. That's, I wrote that one down. Uh, because it would be nice if we had a, a central place that we could have more frequent communications with people. Because it it would kind of seem like, well, we'd hear from each other twice a year. It's kind of like, you know, distant relatives and on Christmas and Thanksgiving and that's it. Um, so that's a really good idea. Uh, regards to women, we have uh, one woman on the list who has agreed to write to people. Um, in fact, I saw her yesterday um, so we haven't had we don't get uh, I, I don't recall I don't, John you can help me on this I don't recall if we while I've been in charge that we've had any women requesting sponsor by mail or not you know we we may have uh, but I, I don't recall any um, some other group individual groups may have received some uh, if they do we do have one woman who's uh, prepared to write to them but uh, it's it's generally a smaller population than the male population, but that's you know it's it, I'm sure it's there. Yeah, it's just a question of when the people start realizing that uh, that we're here. Um, so. 
Certainly. Mm-hmm. My name is John, and I am a sexaholic. Um, I was the past chair of the Correctional Facility Committee. Um, in corresponding with an inmate, uh, you know, there's some do's and don'ts. Uh, don't send them money. Um, use a post office box. Don't give them your, uh, most inner groups have a, a post office box. You know, they have a hotline in the post office box. Um, or purchase a private post office box. Um, and the same rules apply that would apply in a meeting. You know, if you're writing something and you think you have to raise your hand because what you're writing is not the proper thing, then, of course, don't write it. And the object is is to introduce them to the steps and traditions. So if we stay focused on recovery and the steps and the traditions, you know, you can give them a brief history of yourself, but don't go into great detail, you know. And, and maybe it would just suffice to say, my name is John, I'm a sexaholic, I've served time in prison, I've been sober now for X number of years, and I would like to help to guide you through the steps and prepare you to attend the meeting when you get out. Uh, as with, with the women, as, as he said, uh, you know, my sponsor, uh, I, I complain about essay. We In Rochester, New York, we have three women in all of Rochester, and we have about 70, 80 men. And my sponsor's stock answer is, when the women want it as bad as the men want it, they will find their way here, just like we did, you know. Uh, and because it's women, you know, uh, I, I just want to strongly suggest uh, to a point of almost saying, you know, you better do it. Uh, do not write to women. You know, uh, it's not a man's job to be doing that. It's a woman's job. We need to keep the aisle separate, and we need to have a clear definition of who's on what side of what aisle and who's on the other side. Uh, we are growing. We are getting better at doing things. And I think you had a meeting, didn't you, about getting a newsletter started? Didn't that take place today? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was yeah. So so this newsletter he's talking about uh will uh, will eventually come to fruition. Uh just like other things. Uh when I first started, uh we had never spoken in a in a uh prison. Uh William R was the chairman and we've been in three or four prisons and spoken to the prison's officials. Here in Tennessee we went right to the state office building. And they were enthused. They wanted us. We didn't have anybody here in Tennessee to carry the message inside the walls. So that's what this is, to gather you, to share information. Uh, if there's anybody here from Tennessee, um, and you know, that would like to start working uh, towards that goal of getting into a prison, there are opportunities uh, in this state as well as every other state. And we have had international connections. Uh, I had, uh, when I was chair, 
I had uh, something come from Israel. Uh, Davis had something come from Australia. Uh, so we're growing. So join the team, work hard. Well, uh, page 89 of the big book. You know, it all starts, the first two sentences of page 89, it all starts with one alcoholic working with another one that brings about recovery. Thank you. Yeah, having a two addicts and a resentment, you pretty much got a meeting right there. Um, actually, I was just going to call you up, Eric. Uh, Eric's uh, group out in um, San Francisco, is that where you are? They, uh, in the Bay Area. They uh, they have some rather... They have, I'll let you tell them. I'll let you tell them. Sure, because I could take up the whole meeting. You, you don't want to do that. Um, Eric, grateful recovering sexaholic. Uh, good and worthy person, a worthy of recovery. Uh, but what Davis is alluding to is the, we had a, a group conscience when we started a Friday meeting in San Francisco uh, to start working uh, as a group that does inmate correspondence. And how this happened was I was working with John. I was talking to John, and we had I had started a little newsletter out in, in San Francisco called At Bay, uh, keeping your addiction at bay, San Francisco. At, you know, okay, uh, okay. But I'll be here all week. Yeah. So we, we, you know, and and part of that was to to really create a means of corresponding with inmates or uh, prisoners, rather, as they like to be called, and then allowing other people on the outside to understand what was really going on on the inside. So what we did on Fridays is. Uh, to have two formats. The first default format is step writing. The second one is if we get uh, printer correspondence is to read the correspondence in the in the meeting to the group and then the group uh, then takes a group conscience and we decide what we want to write back. Generally what happens is I get a letter from a, a prisoner who I've been corresponding with, uh, doing the steps with, and usually he'll usually send me back a letter. I send him you know a step letter. He'll send me back one. And then I'll read it, and the group gets, and the room gets very quiet. The group is, uh, in and of itself, you know, varying amounts of sobriety, but it gets quiet. People want to hear what's going on, and what's usually shared, and in most cases, is very, very, uh, very simply worded, uh, all about recovery and faith, and uh, you know the, the guys that are in prison. And I'm not been in prison, but Dave's can speak to this, you know, they have a lot of time on their hands, but, you know, being an essay on the outside, I'm this person's lifeline, and I can work the steps and traditions with this person, okay, and what I get back, I've never felt more strongly connected to a sponsee before working with these prisoners. Now, I've sponsored a number of guys, and I continue to sponsor guys you know, on the outside. And, you know, it's basically garden variety, masturbation, and stuff like that, and, you know, other, other things. We, we go back and forth. But when you are working with a prisoner, you are their lifeline. You know, they have a lot of times, true, but they're, you know, there's nobody else in some cases. And in, in some cases, other cases, they're not getting out of prison. 
And the one case of my sponsee, he, he recognizes the fact that he's probably not going to leave. His story, as I shared this morning in another session, his story was pretty scary. I was scared. It's like, you know, crazy people, you know, not like me, crazy than me, you know. But I, I recognize that with a couple of wrong turns, I could have ended up in prison, you know. And in in working with the, the prisoners, what we do in in, in my meeting is uh, we we decide to we decided recently to write back as a group. <clears throat> so we all get together and we write a little note to the to the prisoner based on what he shared. We try to keep the topic relevant. Say so like prisoners. Uh, what are the topics of relevancy? Well, you can write about abstinence. That's that's a relevant topic. Well, you can write about loneliness. What is it? What is it like to be isolated and lonely in your addiction? You know, and that's someone from uh, from uh, who had been coming to the means who had suggested that. So we took a group conscience and we were able to do this. And what what it's what it's doing is really providing a lifeline, as I mentioned. I don't have to go into much detail, but you can kind of any inner group can do this. <coughs> Anybody can do this. It's quite simple. And if you were to do it, what you would be getting back is something immeasurable, something that's intangible, something you really can't put in writing, but you know, Roy talks about it, and we'll, you'll hear it about recovery. It's recovery and unity and service. And if you hold on to those three tenets, the three-legged, the three-legged stool we talked about, okay, so those are the things and uh, we're just talking about one particular platform here there are many you know Davis is going to tell you about it but there are many different types of platforms we're talking about the newsletter that can be sent through an intermediary there are many ways where prisoners can carry the message to other prisoners and promote healing okay because you know the guy I'm sponsoring right now I'll tell you right now he's um, he's working his, uh, his ninth step uh, and they leave him alone in prison. He's carrying something around with him. He's sort of like an aura. And he, he has this thing going on where uh, early on, I'll just be real brief and I'll shut up, uh, you know, he was telling me about, you know, this one or that one would, would just, you know, say something and he would be resentful for days and, you know, and now he's staying sober. And people are beginning to recognize his sobriety in prison and he is um, sponsoring someone in prison and recently told me he's starting a meeting which we can add to the meeting list all coming about because the guy wanted recovery and uh, in no small part because my higher power and you know and, and in the group form has for the second tradition uh, and this is something that anybody can do so I, I suggest you, you look into it. Thanks. Something that you know comes clear when you talk about this stuff, and that you could, as you could just leave the word prison out, and this is exactly the same work that we do with everybody else in SA. I mean, service is service, no matter where you do it. Um, and when you do this, you work the steps for yourself. You don't do them for anybody else. And other people benefit because they, you know, you start. Instead of causing trash around you, good stuff happens around you, like this guy was happening in his prison. Um, so that's, you know, this is the basic. This is why we do it uh, because it does help us. It's like any of you that is, that sponsor people. You don't sponsor for the sponsee. 
You know, you sponsor for you because it keeps you sober. Uh, and but once again, other people benefit from that. Um, one other thing that uh, came up that we are uh, looking to do more of, uh, in our intergroup we do something called Pass the Message, and a couple times a year the committee gets together and they target a group of professionals in the greater D.C. area that, uh, uh, that would come in contact with sex offenders or people in SA, with people with SA issues, therapists, parole officers, counselors, psychologists, whatever, uh, and we'll put together a packet and just shotgun mail it out to these people. Um, you know, here we are, this is what we can do, you know, we offer that. Um, the thought was brought up that we could probably do the same thing for prisons because not everybody knows about us. Uh, and that this is something that would be ideal for, like, you could take back to your local intergroup. You know, find out the the nearest large jails or state or federal prisons that you have in your area. Find out who the uh, counseling officials are, chaplains, therapists, the like. It's all public record. You should be able to find that. And start mailing them our stuff. You know, here we are. This is what we offer. The best thing to send them would be the brochure from the Correctional Facilities Committee, which we have. Uh, you can, uh, they have copies of it out there you can buy. You can also download it for free from the website if you're safe online uh, at sa.org. Go to the prisons page, and there's a PDF you can download and print out and send out to people because it gives a, the nice basic outline of everything that we do and, and how we can help. Um, so that's something that um, we're, we want to start promoting uh, that uh, so we can start find, uh, getting our name out to uh, more places so that more people know about us and can maybe ask us in or ask, uh, you know, we get a call, hey, can we have five books because we're going to start meetings in our prison? And we say, you can, and we send them right off to them because uh, that's, that's the best way for these things to get going. Hello, everybody. I'm Jim, and I'm a sexaholic. Um, I have a question. Uh, let me start off by giving you a background. I, I've been trying to get into Dewberry, uh, which is the prison here in Tennessee that has the sex offender population, uh, and I, I've been going, uh, t- helping take an AA meeting in there. I'm, a, I'm also an alcoholic, and uh, so I, I kind of know the, the chaplain and and prisoners, I mean, the AA meetings, essentially, uh, they're all sex offenders. And um, so the fifth steps that that we hear, you know, include, uh, it's, 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 I mean, for right now, it's the best that I can do as a sexaholic uh, and as an alcoholic. But I'd like to bring in an essay meeting, and I, uh, I got the feeling that the chaplain was not the person that kind of makes the decision. It was... It was more the uh, the treatment um, staff, and so I called and spoke with uh, the the director, uh, and he asked me to email some information. And I I went online and I forwarded him uh, one of the stories and um, asked if I can you know meet with him, and he said he'd be willing to meet. Uh, for the, he, he said he'd be willing to have us in there for the next quarterly peer meeting that they have. And so my question is, uh, if anybody has experience with uh, trying to bring a meeting into the prison, uh, what, what obstacles can I anticipate? Uh, I know that a lot of the treatment, um, they, you know, 
they have the, the way they do things, and uh, I'm, I'm not sure how they're going to respond to our definition of sexual sobriety. I don't, I don't know. Uh, I, I really don't know what to expect. So I'd like to hear some experience, strength, and hope on on that. So thanks. Um, good point that it, you know a chaplain is not going to be the guy that makes the decision unless it's a county jail, maybe a very small one. Uh, but getting to people like that, then they can go to their superiors and say, hey, this is a good idea. Uh, can we get that in? You will run into trouble with uh, people that um, will not like our sobriety definition. Um, in fact, we the one place that we did get into is Arlington County Jail, and uh, we were having meetings, but then the person that got us connected in there looked at our sobriety definition and said, oh, you're anti-gay, and basically kicked us out. So that could be a problem. Now, of course, the only things, here we get into wanting to control the situation, and all we can do is go in and tell, this is what we do, this is our definition, here's my experience, strength and hope, can we come in? Uh, there's no magic bullet, there's no way to, uh, you know, say just the right thing to let them in because it, um, you know, we are who we are. And uh, there will be um, some of the other obstacles you might run into is that uh, some facilities will, if you you yourself have a felony, sometimes that will bar you from getting in. Um, this is a problem that NA has because anybody that has a drug or a weapons charge cannot visit a prison, and that's pretty much everybody in N.A., uh, so they, they have a really hard time getting in. Um, I know that in Virginia, I am not allowed to go into the prison where I was housed, so I can't go to Coffeewood, but I've been in six or seven others, including the federal lockup down in Petersburg, so it, you know, it, it varies by state, so that, that's something that you'll have to research, but when they are starting to vet people to go into the prison, if you get that far, you know, they'll let you know what's allowed and what isn't allowed. Um, the uh, the biggest thing is to just be prepared to uh, let go of the, the results, uh, which is what we keep hearing in our meetings. I mean, uh, you know what expectations are, so we got to make sure we, we let go of those. All we can do is try to get the stuff in there. So. I'm Andrew. I'm a sexaholic. I am a uh, corrections officer in uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee. I work for uh, Corrections Corporation of America, which is based here in Nashville. It's the largest private uh, housing um, industry in the United States. Um, and there's two reasons I'm he I, there's two reasons I'm here. One is um, when I was doing my ninth step, I uh, had several um, women on my ninth step um, ex-girlfriends, odds and ends that I couldn't make direct amends to because it would cause more harm than good. And uh, my sponsor said, well, you know, what, what can you do uh, to make a, a living amends for that? And he said, uh, do the prison ministry. The do the prison ministry. And I said, you know, you're right. Uh, the interesting thing is when I started doing that a year ago in corrections, um, they, bring in, uh, they bring in NA and AA meetings to where I'm at. And I was actually in training and I told the chaplain, you know, um, you know what about a sexaholics meeting, which was not the smartest thing to do uh, three weeks into my training in a uh, utility, but he had a lot of interest. He had a lot of interest. But the problem is I can't bring, I can't, uh, bring it into the facility I work at, and, I, and I, it's unlikely that I'll be able to go into other facilities and work because I'm a corrections officer, and was that, if that was found out, that could be detrimental. And the second reason I'm here 
is because I'm going to have something to do with this fellowship. I don't know what way that'll be, if it's organizing spreadsheets, if it's computer. Um, it's my, it's going to be my way to make amends, and hopefully they'll allow me to uh, be a part of it. Um, the second reason is because I see the, the horrific um, consequences of this addiction happening every day. Uh, in the jail I'm in, I'm in receiving a discharge, and I, so I see all this booking, basically, and all the uh, inmates come in, every inmate. We house women and, and men. Um, and I'll give you one example, which is which uh, I will never be able to forget, is that we had a gentleman. We we house federal prisoners before they're um, convicted, and they'll go up to the federal pen in Atlanta, and then on to wherever they they go after that. Uh, we had we have several uh, inmates who are housed in our segregation unit for um, child pornography. Um, one of the inmates um, they made the mistake of, of what what happens is we have a federal bus that comes to the facility. They'll pick up the. 25. They'll have inmates come from all different counties, and they'll, they'll house. They'll pick them all up at one time and take them to Atlanta to process them. Well, what happened with him was um, he and, and this guy's a nice guy. I mean, I have you know been in segregation. I have talked with him, and just uh, just you know he was just an all right guy. I would, I never really knew uh, the reasoning behind it because the one thing about the feds is they don't tell you. Uh, the feds keep everything private. Once in a while, you'll find out what the charges are, but mostly they don't tell you anything about the inmate uh, for law. But sometimes you you, you find out. But um. He, uh, uh, they made the mistake of telling him that the uh, BOP bus was coming, and so he cut his throat uh, and uh, from side to side all the way across um, when he found out. And, uh, and having been there and been a part of that scene um, and trying to save that person, I, uh, you know, I'll never, I will never forget that. Long story short, he survived, and he, he did go. Um, they, they didn't make that mistake again, and they, they, when the bus arrived, they brought him down. But, you know, I see all the people coming in for um, violation of... Uh, Sex offender registry, um, prostitution. So the need is uh, it's incredible, and um, you know the amount of um, care that's needed. Over 80% of the gentlemen in the prison. I mean, we have a thousand. Over 80% of them are children of the state um, that are in jail, uh, which I never ever realized. And uh, so we got to, you know, I have to have compassion. I have, I, I just like you were saying, I could have been there. I could have been there. One or two small turns, I could have easily been in those guys' shoes. Um, and okay, so all, enough of that. The, one of the suggestions I have is, I know at the jail I'm at, what they do when they come through with an AA meeting is they we walk in the dorm and we go, anybody for AA? Anybody for AA? Anybody for NA? Well, AA being somewhat sociably okay, you'll get some guys respond and they'll walk out the dorms, go to meetings. NA, a few less will respond. I know that that this is on the very much on the prison level that if they have a meeting and they go in and yell sexaholics anonymous meeting there won't be an inmate that stirs because you know for them it's uh, um, it's crucial that they not give up any uh, um, reputation um, you know for what they're doing so one of the suggestions I would have is uh, you know you can't really rename the program but maybe the on the gut level they need to find some way of introducing the program maybe under a different name or some kind of, you know, going around this thing somehow of, of being able to um, allow prisoners to know what's going on with it, uh, what it's for, but maybe they have to go around the name or the reason. I don't know. I know that's hard to, I know that's hard to accept, but having been there on the level and knowing, uh, I know that prisoners uh, won't do that. Fed, fed prisoners may be different. Uh, fed penitentiaries run completely different. There's a routine. Uh, there's acceptance that takes place on the fed, federal penitentiaries. Uh, that may be a little different than than local jails, um, but I don't know that. So that's just one of my suggestions, and uh, that's it. Thanks. Thank you. We're actually running a little short on time here. Um, 
Very good point, because I remember my counseling um, sessions that I had to attend when I was in Virginia prisons. I, they had some wacky name, the Sunshine Group, or so, I don't know what it was, something weird. Of course, everybody knew what it was. But anyway, um, so if you haven't already signed up, and if we've convinced you, then uh, please do come and sign up. And we are uh, got some more ideas for us to start working on. Um, and I appreciate all of you coming here today. Uh, anything you've heard at this meeting is strictly the opinion of the individual participant, the principles of SRFN are 12 steps and 12 traditions. Why don't we close with a third step prayer?
Thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, your best source for experience, strength, and hope from the SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choose either monthly or a one-time donation. Music was provided by Matt P. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.